You may or you may not know that that uh, song is, that, that line of that song or the, the theme of that song, his banner over me is love, is from Song of Songs. Uh, for those who are visiting, we are going through Song of Songs. Um, and so I want you to open up to Song of Songs chapter 2. It may say in your Bible, uh, Song of Solomon, that's okay. Um, so yeah, that, that is in uh, Song of Songs, where is it now? Um, chapter 2, he has taken me to his banquet hall, a banqueting hall and his banner over me is love. And it's actually the words of a woman, am I right? Yeah, a woman to a man. Because as we're exploring Song of Songs, we are not going to explore it anagorically um, by looking at it like this is a song between God and Israel, or this is a song between God and the church. Although there are illusions of God's love here in, in our relationship with God here, we're looking at Song of Songs as a, a song, as a song uh, between lovers. And we spoke, uh, I did a long preamble about it last week, I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to say that Song of Songs focuses in on the power uh, the romantic love between a man and a woman. And it is quite remarkable that it's in Scripture. And we know if you do a bit of study, you'll find that the church has been quite embarrassed about it at times or um, not knowing how to handle it. How many of you have sat uh, studying Song of Songs in a servant, in a church family, probably not that many. Certainly those who contacted me this week would say it's the first time they've heard Song of Songs being preached from a pulpit, as it were. So it doesn't directly speak of God because there is no mention of God in here at all, although possibly there's something about a flickering flame later on. But it indirectly certainly does. It is God's word, so therefore it speaks to us. Rabbi Abacus, I think he was, says that this was the holy of holies of Scripture. And so it's not to be feared. Um, and it's, it's not to be idolized either. What I mean by that is we look at this song or this collection of songs, however you would look at it, these poems, and say, yeah, but in the real world, it doesn't work like that. That's idolization and that's not great. We wouldn't look back at Adam and Eve in the story of the garden and say, yeah, but it's not really like that. But we see that as a reflection of what it was like. And then we look at Revelation and we see uh, how those who have had their robes dipped in the blood of the lamb are able to be beside the tree of life. And we have that garden idea again. We don't look at that and say, oh, that's idolized. So it really has nothing to say to us. Neither do we switch off from Song of Songs because we say, well, I'm divorced or I'm single. Because Song of Songs speaks of the relationship between uh, the bride and the bridegroom as well. Scripture is a, a deep theology of love. God is love, John says. And so there's much to be gleaned from this love song, this powerful, it might make us a bit uncomfortable at times with its language of fondling and kissing and stroking and caressing. But that aside, because we're grown-ups, we say, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you open this up to us? 
Therefore, we acknowledge, as some translations in the very first line says, my NIV doesn't do that. Sorry, I've not got my reading glasses on. Um, but some of uh, the translations will say in verse 1 of chapter 1 that Song of Songs is the finest of songs or more wonderful than any other. And with that authority in God's word, speaking about this book, we say, Lord, would you speak to us? May your banner over us, your banner over us which is love, may we experience that. Between you, our creator, the lover of our soul, and also in our marriages and in our church communities also. And yeah. Amen. I'm going to start now. <laughs> I'm going to get my doofer. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to read as I go. So if you have not got a Bible, there's red church Bibles to the side if you want to grab them. It might help you because I will be, um, this will be open most of the time or it will be on my notes most of the time. <clears throat> so I'm going to start reading from... Um, from chapter 2 and verse 8. But just to let you know, we are in the middle of probably a dream. The lady, the Shulamite, the beloved is dreaming. I mean, I never touched base on that last week, but she is starting to, she's speaking about perfumes and breasts and raisins and all sorts of fruitful things and smith. She's just love struck. She's, she's dreaming with her head in the pillow. Okay, so that's what we've got here. We're in the middle of a, a dream. And then I'm going to read, what am I going to read? I'm going to read 8 through to 13. Listen, my lover. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig trees forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. This is about the eagerness of love, and we're going to look at that first of all. And you'll see I've got some Spanish translation there, and you might hear that Angie will be translating for a mum, um, so you know, that isn't Greek, that's <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> um, so, this is the next stage in the dreams uh, cycle, and she says, um, here he is, she can hear his voice. The one I love, my beloved, my boyfriend, my fiancé, the, 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 the dream of my heart, here he comes. And she is excited in her dream. Because eventually, not here, although there is mention of bedchambers and, and oaks over our head as roofs, and the, the, the love has not been consummated. 
There's dreaming and there's yearning and there's a desire for that. But the marriage happens, chapter 4. Just now, it's fantasy. It's the, the desires of a heart of a, a, a woman who's in love with a man and she desires the fullness of that and for it to be consummated. But it hasn't happened yet. She just hears him and she desires for him to visit her. And she says, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. Look how strong he is, how virile he is. He is like a stag. He's ready to rot with anyone for me. This is love speaking. This is desire speaking. Yes, in a dream. But it shows some of the power of romantic love. He stands behind our wall and he's gazing through the window. Not a peeping Tom. He's peering to see me. And he wants to find out. She's dreaming. He has come and he desires me. He's looking for me. And he wants to find that I'm home. And we see in verse 10, Look, arise my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. And in her dream, she is, the Shulamite is dreaming that her lover is saying, Come. I desire you, I want you. As we read in chapter 1, um, the, the kisses of his lips, the flowers are out, the rain has gone, the winter has passed, there is blossoming. It is the time for love and romance and, and to consummate our love. This is the time. And that passion is there in these verses, so much so that in verse 13, she dreams again of her lover saying, Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And I think I've put that up there. This is her dream. She is desiring to be pursued. Now, granted, I'm, I, some of you may not like, I'm getting into generalizations here, um, and we're in a culture where we can't say things about how, how other people are, are, are thinking. You can't say that to me because you're a white, heterosexual, middle-aged man. You know, you've heard that sort of stuff. But I don't care about that. I see scripture saying quite clearly here that the woman desires to be desired. The woman desires to be pursued. I promised my wife I would not speak about her at all during this sermon series. So I'm not using my relationship with Miranda as any example. But my experience says... <laughs> and I'm sure if there was a poll here, the ladies would say, I desire to be pursued. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, chapter 1. And I proposed last week that that wasn't weak or passive. Neither was she a ladette. But there was strength and there was surrender. She knew he wanted to kiss her and she invited that. So notice that she is the one desiring to be pursued and surely it was important for her to know that. Surely it was important for her to know that the one who's captured her heart felt the same. And he didn't show any reluctance. He didn't go, if I must. There's none of that, right? 
well, let me check my diary. Um, is there any football on the telly? There was none of that, right? Not saying anything about my relationship with Miranda. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't give that responsibility away or use any excuses at all. He was ready. He was a stag. He was virile. It was spring and it was right for this desire, passionate desire to be there between the Shulamite and her beloved, the lover and her beloved. Let couples be like this. May our marriages express this. I, I listened to someone this week, a psychologist, speaking about um, whether it's right or not, I don't know, but I quite like the idea that in our relationships we go through something like a four and a half year cycle. I guess you could call it a honeymoon period where the, the chemicals in your mind when you're in relationship with this person who you've given your heart with it goes through that sort of sequence. And, and our culture would then say, well, if you are not feeling it anymore, go and find someone else who can feel it and go through a four and a half, five year cycle of relationships. We know people that do that. You know, I, I read recently that marriage in America, uh, um, no, divorce in America is going down. So it's lowest numbers, but it's only because marriages are at its lowest numbers. So it's nothing to celebrate. Our culture says, if you don't feel it, move on. But the psychologist went on to speak about the, the difference when you stick at a relationship. And I guess we could say that about our platonic relationships also. When we stick at it, it goes through different phases where we have wrestled with one another, where we have, it's like rough diamonds became something better because, you know, the person may have ripped your knitting, but you've loved them and you've stuck with them. And it's this depth and this richness, like a rich wine and all of that. Psychologists say that's the same with our loves. And the more you stick at it, the richness you find. And you may always go through four and a half, five year cycles or whatever it may be. But there's richness in that. May our marriages reflect that. Richness and growth and flavour and, and all of that. And, and uh, keep date nights. Do you know, I've spoke to one or two people this week from last week's sermon. And I know one or two of you have went on dates this week especially. I'm going on a date today, but I'm not using my marriage as an example in a sermon series. <laughs> I'm going... I'm going blueberry picking today. <laughs> I don't even know if there's football on the television. I'm going blueberry picking. And I'm looking forward to it. Find time together. Enjoy different stages in our love relationships. And how, remember I says there's no direct reference to God. Can I just say something as well before I move on to that? I know for some of us that is brutally difficult. And we'll come to that in a moment or two. I know there's a tension where some of us want that to be the case and it cannot be the case. I acknowledge that and I'm going to come to that in a minute. You're sold out, you agree with that, but you can't because of the other partner. Leave that tension there, we'll come to that. Remember it says there's no direct reference to God, but there's indirect. How much more in our walk with Jesus then? I am my beloved and he is mine. That we need to stick at it. We need to do the simple things time and time and time again. 
We have the date nights, as it were. That's a bit icky. And I, you know what I mean by that? Rhythm, regular. This is not a holy place. Wherever you walk is holy ground. But it's special because God's people are gathering under his word. The Holy Spirit is here and I believe probing our hearts. So this is important. So do not get out of the habit of meeting regularly as some are accustomed to do. If I'm encouraging us throughout this about our marriages and our relationships, I'm also doing that as well about our walk with Jesus. How do you know someone's voice if you do not listen to that person's voice? It's, it's very simple. Let's move on. Um, and I'll read this verse, verse 14. My dove, my, my dove, am I reading the right one? Uh, yeah, yeah. My dove is in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. I'll just do 15 as well. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. But my dove is in the cleft of the rocks in the hiding place on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice for your love is sweet and your face is lovely. Absence makes the love grow or fonder. Yeah? Absence just makes it grow. Um, and here the lover has been away from the beloved for, for too long. And his heart is to gaze upon her beauty. His desire is to see her, to hear the sweetness of her voice. And, you know, when the flowers are out and the blossoms are out, it's, it's the time for this and the yearnings that he has are real as he comes to seek for her. But she is shyly hiding away. She is not where she should be found. Why is this? Well, remember, this is still her dream. So she is dreaming of her beloved seeking her. And it's still what's going on in her head. I wonder if she once again, as we came, as we looked at chapter one, is she once again focusing in on her unworthiness? My skin is so dark, like Solomon's tents, the dark tents of Kedar, or whatever it was. You know, because her, her family had abused her and made her to go and work in the vineyards. In her culture, dark skin was a sign of poverty, whereas pale skin was a sign of wealth. So is she again here hiding in the clefts because she's still aware, I'm not worthy of this, look at me. Is she nervous at expressing love? As she gets close to it, does she step back because she just doesn't know she, she's capable, if it's real? I'm not sure really what is going on here. But I know that she is not where she is meant to be because she's hiding in the places in the mountain. And you don't go there if you want to be found. So there is definitely some sort of reluctance in her mind, in her heart, as she's dreaming about this. And I'm sure there is a wealth of experience in this church family when it comes to life and love experiences. And my question is, so what do you do when your love grows cold? What did you do? 
when your love grew cold, when you didn't want to spend the time, where you were irritated, uh, irritated by your, your spouse, what did you do? What have you done with that? Buried? Or what? A dominant culture would say um, that you need to be happy. And I've said that. Four and a half year cycle, be happy. So if your love grows cold, move on. You deserve better. Go and find something else. However, this is not the way of Jesus. And I suggest this as a starter. And I didn't want to give five points and all of that sort of stuff. Because this is a, it's not that type of three point sermon I'm wanting to go through. But I felt I had to just list these things. As I think myself, what I have done, what I would do, as I've spoken to others, what they have done and what they would do. When love grows cold, when you don't want to spend time with each other or you can't spend time with each other, that first one, be honest. Be honest that things are tough, that you don't feel the same. Don't pretend, don't make excuses, call it out. Speak about the elephant which is in the room. You never know, the, your, your, your lover might be thinking the exact same thing. Unpack it. How has it come to this? What have we done? Have we missed out the date nights? Have we given all our energies to the kids? And we don't know what to do with our time now. We've got all this time. How did we get here? Learn your lessons. You would do that if you were in business or in education or in your workplace. Why? If you were lost, you would work out, how did I get here? And, and trace your way back. Count the cost. What is needed to go on? If you're going to build a house, you figure out the costs before you decide to build a house. So count the costs. If we are going to go on in this, what does it mean? What has to change? Am I willing to do what it takes? It's a choice. And pray and obey. If you've got to this point, and I sorely would encourage you always to get to this point, pray and obey. Include God. What does he say? Seek him together. Pray together as a couple. The most intimate thing you can do is in prayer. Silently expressing your prayers audibly so your lover can hear what you're saying to the lover of your soul. Pray and then obey together. And again, if this is you're thinking about your walk with Jesus, how much more, how much more should you do these things to develop that relationship with the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that we verse chapter 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards or vineyards that are in bloom. For centuries, commentators have seen that this verse, the little foxes, refers to the little things that disrupt our relationships. So when you read little foxes, little disturbances, little problems that affect our relationships. Commentators have said that forever. The little foxes ruin the vineyards. It doesn't take a hurricane. It doesn't take a herd of elephants. It doesn't take anything massive to ruin our relationships, but little things. Little things that you accept in there that shouldn't be in there affect our relationships. 
It might be not listening. It might be overspending without joint decision makings. It might be greater things like past abuse or sin that you just allow to be in your relationships and not be dealt with. It might be temptations elsewhere, such as pornography. It might be perfectionism. It might be gossip. It might be remembrance of past grievances, exaggeration. It might be a third party. Over-busyness, carelessness, insensitivity, and on and on and on. The commentator, uh, a guy called Glitchman, listed several other little foxes that causes troubles. The uncontrolled desire that drives a wedge of guilt and mistrust between a couple. Chase the little foxes away. The mistrust and the jealousy that strains or breaks the bond of love. We're commanded together chase the little foxes away. The selfish pride that refuses to acknowledge wrong and fault to one another. Little foxes. Get them out of your relationship. Or the unforgiving attitude that will not accept apology when one comes. That's not appropriate in your relationship with the one you love, your beloved, your lover. And notice though that it says little foxes catch us the little foxes. The lover... The beloved doesn't say to her lover, you go catch them. In other words, in a relationship, she can't say, well, if only he would sort it out. You know all his problems. Did I do that? (laughs) Sorry, ladies. (laughs) You know what I'm getting at. Us, it's a cooperative. If one person holds on to it in a relationship, it's still little foxes and it's there. Yes, some of the fault might be with the other person, but together, work it out. If your marriage is going to get richer, it's not going to come through finger pointing. It's going to get done together or it will never happen at all. How much more our relationship with Jesus, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. He is willing, as our prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. That's a cooperative. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I believe that scripture can include our walk daily with Jesus. In verse 16, I'm just going quickly to do this. Verse 16 and 17. My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Lilies generally are are lips. People think that's all to do with lips. So again, he's kissing away. Um, He's mine. Until the day breaks and until the shadows flee, turn my lover and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged hills. My lover is mine and I am his. I am my beloved and he is mine. Our marriages are exclusive relationships. 
There should be no third party members in there. Our culture is increasingly, as I see in some of the news, advocating open or three-party relationship marriages. You've seen it in the States just now. I am my beloved and he is mine. First and foremost, it's about a man and a woman. There's an allusion to us and Jesus. I am my beloved and he is mine. Because the vineyards that are in bloom are vulnerable. You may think it's strong enough to even give your heart away. You've got a work colleague who listens to you. Unlike your spouse. You love your spouse. You would never, ever do anything against your spouse. But my work colleague understands me more. I think that's you giving your heart to your work colleague. Be careful of the little foxes. Because your love is vulnerable. The blossom, the beauty of your marriage is vulnerable. Do not allow it to encroach in there where you get a kick, a thrill, it just understands you're feeling love and acceptance and it's a heart connection. Be careful of the little foxes because our love between our spouses is exclusive. And finally, I know it's been a long one, but I'm not apologizing. Um, chapter three, all night, all night long in my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go to the city through the streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely have I passed. Scarcely had I passed him when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the doves of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And all I would say here, I'm not going to get into this. I'm just going to say she's in bed. Perhaps she is still in a dream, but her fears, even at this point, are consuming her. Does he really love me? Does he? Does he really care? Is this a gamble or, or is it the real thing? Has he changed? Has he grown cold? Periods of separation are inevitable. Anxiety can easily raise its ugly head. And so perhaps my advice here, if you're in that stage, is just to say, don't panic. You are committed to one another in sickness and health. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. So assume the best and tread. And tread that fear down as we are seeing here in her dream, possibly her dream at the beginning of chapter three. And again, I'm, I'm just going to finish with that verse up there. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, and it's the second time this is in Song of Songs. I charge you by the gazelles and by the doves, that should be doves of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Because it is strong, because it is permanent, it changes us, it drives us, can hardly be contained at times. Amen. Shall we pray together? I'm just going to invite silence. 
And then the things that come to my head, I'm just praying just now, and the things that come to my head, I'm not going to ask for a response, but hopefully my prayers, I'll just, I'll, I'll connect with where you're at, maybe, I don't know. And just allow that space again, acknowledge that thing that you may be going through. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Father, I believe so much pressure is on family life, on the love between a man and a woman. And so I pray, Father, for those who feel they are up to their neck in that just now. And I pray that that, that love between that man and woman, that you would um, fence that in. You would protect that which uh, you have birthed. Those vows that have been made. And Father, I pray that if there are any couples here just now who are going through that time just now, that they would be honest, a discussion, a commitment to your ways, Jesus, and that you would bring about your work in that marriage, in that love, according to the Father's will, I pray in the name of Christ. Father, I also pray for those who would long for reconciliation, who would long to be connected with a soulmate, but that is not, that is not um, how the other person feels. Have mercy, Lord. Comfort those who desire so much to be strong but are weak in these times. Comfort them. Would you hear their prayers? Would you speak deeply, tenderly? Heavenly Father, And those that you have joined together, let no one, let no little foxes separate, I pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Pray for those, Father, who have tasted love and it's been sweet, but it has not worked out for fault and no fault at all. May they know, Lord, your love, your acceptance, that you are for them, not against them. May their hearts be healed. May there be no condemnation for those in, in Christ. Words that have been spoken over them in the past or words that have spoken over themselves, I pray that they would fall over them if they were words that harm them and hold them back. Lord, have mercy. Thank you. Jesus, you are the lover of our soul. And for those who long for this, Lord, long to meet their soulmate, long uh, to be for two to become one, long for this beauty to be expressed in the passion. Would you keep them, Lord? Would you keep their partner safe and warm, even if they're in another country and unknown to them at this point? I pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Have your way with us, Father. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Christ, amen.